I think mm. that we have to approach providing professional advice on the same way. Is what we're about to provide of value? You know, lawyers still do keep time. Now, whether you bill a client based on time or not, it's an entirely different discussion. But lawyers do, and I can know accountants do, and I'm assuming every consultant is recording how much time they're spending on their client matter. And and then at some point, you know, assess how much to bill. I always have felt that in law, we always do it by like 0.1 is six minutes because we want to get to 1.0 for the hour. I've always felt that there's no such thing as a 0.1 because either (laughs) I'm giving... There isn't, there can't be, because either it's of value and it's worth more than six minutes, or I spent the point one, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that the client should be billed for. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Shauna Vogel, General Counsel and Managing Director of Kate's Group. I'm excited to talk to her today about her views on entrepreneurship and professional service providers. Welcome Shauna. Uh, Thanks, I'm happy to be here Heather. To set the stage, can you please give our listeners a bit of background about yourself? Uh, Sure. Well, I kind of have a varied background. My current role, which I've been in for uh, almost three years now, uh, although with COVID it seems a lot longer, uh, (laughs) but (laughs) but, uh, every day is long. Uh, I'm general counsel and the senior managing director at Kate's Group, and we have a variety of businesses. Uh, Perhaps the best known business of ours is the Edmonton Oilers. We own the Edmonton Oilers, and we uh, built and operate uh, Rogers Place, which is the new arena in downtown Edmonton and have uh, been real estate developers with uh, the uh, Ice District, which is a bunch of towers and the JW Marriott Hotel in Edmonton. And uh, that's a big part of what I do. But we also have other businesses um, in um, other aspects of hospitality, uh, restaurants, events, um, real estate development, and a few other oddball uh, type of uh, businesses as well, not really connected to those. So so it, it, I'm I'm pretty busy on on a variety of things. Prior to that, of course, I was uh, a partner with you, Heather, at That's right. for for 20 years, and and I was a business lawyer there, um, and then got involved in I guess management, uh, the business of law firms, and ultimately I was chair of the Canada board and a vice chair of the global board, and in that role. I uh, had the opportunity to look at, in this case, law, the business of a law firm from the business perspective and not just as a practicing lawyer. Before that, uh, I actually had done a number of things, including, because um, I graduated in last century, um, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I had been on my own as a consultant at one point. I also had been in government. Um, so I've kind of had an experience of doing everything from being my, my own, a government employee, uh, small firms, large firms, and now in-house, all as a lawyer, a professional services provider. But each one of those experiences I found uh, was just a bit different. And I think it's because mm-hmm. of the business of law as opposed to just being the 
professional service advisor. So that's that's my checkered past. That's your that's your checkered past that led you to where you are today. <laughs> yeah. So you've you've touched on a few things there, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into sort of this this intersection of entrepreneurship and uh, professional services. Sorry, professional service providers. As lawyers by training, you and I often work with with businesses who are entrepreneurial by nature and are are doing some unconventional things. The irony is that in law, in particular, many practitioners think that they are, you know, quote, constrained by the law, and we get pegged with being boring, rigid, and unhelpful to clients, which can be seen to be a barrier to accessing legal ser- services. What are what's your reaction to that comment, and how, as a professional service provider, have you tried to defend and or deny those allegations? The, the allegations are very much this is what people think of the stereotypical lawyer. Now, people will mm-hmm. always g- give the stereotype, and they and will often say, "Oh, but you know, I like my lawyer." But generally, lawyers are and, and give you a stereotype. And I think mm-hmm. the problem, I think, I think there's truth in that stereotype. And I think part of it stems from when, when you go to school, and I think this is when, if you're going to be school as a lawyer or a doctor, an accountant, any engineer for that matter, you, you spend a lot of time really on the substance of what yeah. you're learning, accounting law, whatever, and best practices and, and analysis, etc. And then you're thrown into the real world. And the real world, as you said, is you as a professional service provider, you're dealing with businesses generally. I mean, if you're, if you're a family law lawyer, that's different. But I'm talking about yeah. you know yeah. a, a big group of, of professional service providers who their clients are businesses. And, and somehow we, we, instead of taking our skills and what we've learned and then sort of saying, okay, well, that's, that's, those are my tools, but how am I going to deliver these, i.e. in a business-like entrepreneurial way that will help my clients? We kind of get stuck with just using the tools and thinking that right. our clients, right, and our clients should appreciate us for this wisdom <laughs> And, yeah. and, and our clients should actually think that that 10-page opinion letter we gave them is as fascinating as we think it is. And well-written. And well-written. And, and it probably is well-written. And, uh, and it probably is very helpful, but it's, it's, not, it's not the tool that your client needs. So I, I, I really think professional service providers need to think of themselves as, I guess, number one, running a business. Their business happens to be providing legal advice. And yep. number two, always saying to yourself, okay, well, as businesses evolve, which they are, like, how can I evolve my tools? How I'm a product or I'm a service, how do I deliver that in an entrepreneurial way that can meet or you know, actually exceed the needs of my client? Yeah. And, yeah. and gosh, once you do that, you build that trust relationship and, um, you know, and, and, and then it's more fulfilling relationship too. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I think you also then get the 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 benefit of, of maybe being along for the ride longer. And by and by that I mean, you know, maybe they will um involve you earlier so that things maybe aren't so far off the rails or you know, so so far that, that can't be brought back um if they know that you're at the table with them as opposed to, well, there's this box that my board wants me to check off that I've got a legal review. So I've got the whole deal baked and now I'm gonna go and, and see what my lawyer thinks of it. And, you know, to the extent that there are issues or there's things that maybe hadn't been considered, it's so much more difficult to 
either unwind it or to amend or, or modify the the path forward at that stage. Whereas if you can get on the bus earlier in the process, um, I think that, you know, number one, the process goes smoother generally. And two, um, you, you have that ability to provide that product or that service that you've referred to in a, in a hopefully more accessible and, and more helpful way for the, for the business. They're coming to us for an assessment of, of how to do things and how not to do things and risk. And, and, and you know, so often, um, and especially in the early stages where their business idea isn't fully fleshed out and it could go a number of ways, that's the exciting part to be involved. Yeah. But it yeah. also is, I think, the challenging part for a service provider because in your mind there's like a bunch of warning signals. Oh, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, but yeah. yet you, you can't. You don't want to shut down those ideas yet within your client in the sense because it could it, it's part of the business process and, and the morphing into the final product. And so it's finding the way, I think it comes from your mindset, okay, how can I deliver a few options here? It's ultimately the business who has to decide what risk to take. And I, I certainly right. have to advise them when they're getting in the riskier situation and try and help them avoid that and maybe find other ways. But it's... I think, and it's one thing I'm enjoying about being in-house, being with the company, is because I am involved at the beginning of the process, the ideas are not fully formed, and right, um, right. and that is interesting. But yeah, and, and, you know, gosh, sometimes I think it's as simple as how are you uh, writing to the client, and what, is, what does the client need? If, they, if they're asking you about a few scenarios, you know, and, and, and very often you'll first be on the phone or in a meeting with them, but at some point that they want to have some sort of something in writing because they may have to take it to their board or they want to maybe want to revisit it. Well, how are you going to do that for your client? You know, are you going to give this long opinion letter or can you do it in the form of like a short form table with the three possibilities right. and, and hit those points? And, and again, I think that it, those are simple things, but it's letting you think about, get into the mind of the business and put your advice in a way that is uh, easily used and digested by your business. They're very sophisticated. Yeah. I'm sure if they wanted to spend the time, they could go through the letter, but that's not what you're doing. You're trying to you're trying to be an entrepreneur yourself and say, how would I approach this if I were an entrepreneur? Yeah. I think that another good example of that, that that I've seen used a few times is, as you say, early on in the, in the process, you, you know, you might be thinking of doing a transaction in any number of ways, and there can be pros and cons and risks and, and different reasons why you would choose option A versus option B. But sometimes just having a visual representation of the organizational chart. So here is option A, here is your boxes with your companies and your partnerships, and this is what it means with some you know, pros and cons of the liability or the risk or the tax or whatever is driving that particular structure. And then they can compare it. Here's option A, here's option B. I've got a very visual representation of that. And they can then talk to the other people on the team, like the accountants or the, you know, the tax advisors or the valuators, whatever's needed. But everybody then is at least working from the same options, the same documents that kind of lay out what the what the process is. And that can, I think I've seen that really accelerate the conversation around, okay, well, we need to make a decision in my example about structure. Um, and these are some options. We all know we're talking about the same thing. There's nothing open for interpretation. So we can just drill down on what is the, the difference? What are the distinctions? And how do we find a way to, to really move it forward? So I like the, the really practical tip of how do you tangibly deliver something that is accessible uh, to the process that you happen to find yourself in with with the company? 
I, I like your idea. I, I, I spend my life here doing charts, org charts. Or, I know. <laughs> or, or lists or, uh, you know, you and I go back a long, a long time and, and, and you know that I've been a maniac about, about, uh, lists and charts from the beginning. Um, you know, if you if you are with a business and they're doing a presentation to the bank or they're doing a presentation to get other investors, think about the presentation they give. It's usually right. it's a PowerPoint and it's usually some charts, some graphs, some bullet points, and everybody can get their heads around that. I, yeah. I tell you that I even in emails, I often will have a two bullet in a sense executive summary at the start of an email that I'm sending, um, right? Just to really focus on it and. <laughs> And because I'm trying to get people to do stuff, I often will, uh, again, this is just a small thing, but I'll also, I'll often, in the section of the email I need them to respond, I'll put their name and I'll underline the one sentence right. with the question I need them to answer. Yeah, that ability to really focus the right person on the right, you know, the right aspect, right? Because I think sometimes people are completely overwhelmed by how much we like to write <laughs> in an email format or in an opinion letter, right? You know, I understand where that comes from, right? Because we've we were trained to really assess and analyze the situation if we want to cover all the areas and understand um, where the risk is. But sometimes I think as well that that has to come at the appropriate time. And if if your client is talking to you at a high level about a few different ways to go, you know, that may not be the time, except for the, you know, the big warning lights, that may not mm-hmm. be the time to be delving into every every risk, right? It's, it's, right. uh, and it's picking up the phone. Um, I, I think that because we, we live in this email world, um, you know, e- everything's email and a lot of times people are dashing off emails without really reading the one they received. Sometimes just right. pick up the phone and oh, talk sure. to the person. And sometimes ask to have, you know, the CFO plus the general counsel on the line, right? Like sometimes it's good to have both of those perspectives so that you can really get the full picture. And then obviously the quality of the response, the advice, whatever question you've been asked can be more tailored once you have, you know, not just a two line, hey, can you look into the interpretation of this section for me and send me a note on it? When you when you don't know the context, when you don't really know sort of the background of why that question is being asked, it's it's tough to provide advice, good advice anyways, in a vacuum without knowing that context. And I think as you say that that phone call or, or our favorite Zoom uh, these days um, really makes a difference to setting the stage and providing the context to allow a service provider to really provide advice that's accessible and timely and and topical. Yeah, I think you have to be sensitive to the way the business is structured and 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 there may be a reason that you're only getting the call from one particular sure person or division. Uh, agreed. But, yeah. but I but I do like and I do like the approach that you've just said which is and again, in the old days, when you can actually meet with people, it was even better. <laughs> right. Um, you get you get everybody in a room, so you truly are working as a team. And you're the outside counsel, you're the outside service provider, but you're still working as a team with them, getting listening to all the the, the viewpoints because you know the the risk manager may have a viewpoint, but the the business promoter may have a different viewpoint. And and you are trying to get to that 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 feeling of when you're in as a team, a member. Yeah. And operating in adapting yourself to the culture of the business. For sure. I also think it's it's really important to 
know, so sort of the other side of that coin is really to know your audience when you're responding. And so if you know that, you know, for example, the board has requ- has requested a, a, a detailed opinion about some legal risk because, you know, maybe there's a risk that they're about to be sued or who knows why versus, um, you know, what are the three possible structures that we could provide? And you could provide a, a PowerPoint or a, 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 sh- a chart that shows the options the the level of detail and the you know the appropriateness of the detailed response and citing particular sections for example is obviously very different in those two examples and i think that you can't have just a one size fits all every time i'm asked a question i will do x i think you need to be very sensitive and very responsive to the person who's asked the question and the context for why it's being asked yes agreed agreed so now that you've moved in-house and you're now seeing you're engaging service providers in a, in a different way than when you were the external service provider to the businesses. What practical advice or practical steps do you have for per- professional service providers, as you've talked about accountants, lawyers, engineers, etc., for how we measure value to the business that, you, that, that is engaging you? So I think that the answer is almost in the question. And again, it comes back to sometimes we're a bit arrogant as a service provider, you know, in the sense mm. that we have the yep. knowledge, we're the expert. And I think right. you, it comes down to, we, we've talked about how, how we will tailor our approach and our communication to businesses because we're looking at what we think their needs are. What we're trying to do in that is we're trying to assess how we can provide value. And I think that's the question you always ask yourself. So, um, you know, so here's here's a real life example. So today I was talking, I called the place where I took my car in to get the snow tires and they, and I was having problems with um, a blinker light on my car. I kept thinking my car was going to explode and, and they are telling me, no, your <laughs> car, yeah, your car, this light's been on for a month, but it's, it's, the, it's a problem with the light sensor. It's not a problem with your car. Oh, that's great. And then I said to them, but, but, but how come then when you, when you replace the brakes, why didn't you replace the sensor at that point? Well, there wasn't really a good answer for that. And, uh, and the manager said, Hey, look, we probably should have. So look, I'll put it on order. You just bring your car and it's not going to cost you labor. It's not going to even cost you the parts and we'll replace it. Right. He realized that at that point, what was a value to me and what wasn't. He knows that right. um, my time is valuable. He knows that I know he probably should have done something before and they missed it. And so he offered me something of value. And I think mm. that we have to approach providing professional advice on the same way is what we're about to provide of value. You know, lawyers still do keep time. Now, whether you bill a client based on time or not, it's an entirely different discussion. But lawyers do, and I know accountants do, and I'm assuming every consultant is recording how much time they're spending on their client matter. And and then at some point, you know, assess how much to bill. I always have felt that in law, we always do it by like 0.1 is six minutes because we want to get to 1.0 for the hour. I've always felt that there's no such thing as a 0.1 because either (laughs) I'm giving... There isn't. There can't be because either it's of value and it's worth more than six minutes, or I spent the point one, but it wasn't. It wasn't something that the client should be billed for. And I always mm-hmm. felt when I was recording time, if 
if it was a quick sort of checkup call, you know, have you moved that, you know, I'm waiting for this response for you. I'm waiting for this info from you, client. Well, I would, I never build for that because that's not a value to the client. It's necessary for me to do my job. But it's it's almost like billing your client for the time it takes for you to send out the bill to them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little ridiculous. Ridiculous. So same yeah. thing. You always have to, I always believe you have to ask is what you're providing value. And when you get the itemized bill from your plumber, just like from your lawyer, the consumer who's going to pay it wants to feel they got the value. Right, right. Um, and so for me, um, the first thing that bugs me when I when I look at bills is when I'm being billed for whether it's a quick email or quick call that really didn't add value to me. It was for the professional service provider necessary to move the process along. That kind of, that yeah. to me bugs me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. You know, I think it's really interesting that when you're really junior, you're you know you're taught about how to how to forge. Uh, client relationships and what are things that you can do. And one of the things that I, I, this also assumes that we're not in a COVID world where we're allowed to visit people face to face. But one of the suggestions that that's often given is go and learn about the business, go and learn about your client's business and go on a field trip, go to their warehouse or to their workshop or where they actually conduct their business and get to know them, um, get to know their boards, work collaboratively with, you know, with the, the other professional service providers, whether it's the accountants or whatever, just to learn more about the business um, so that you can provide better advice. And I think that's really, really good advice, but it's not adding value today to the client. It's adding value today to the service provider so that they can be more effective and they can be called upon by the business. And then the business knows that they're up to speed. They understand um, what's going on and that they're really part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you're gaining the knowledge as a service provider and it will enable you for sure in the long run to spot where else you can be of assistance to them, which is to your benefit as well. Yeah. So I have a, another question um, sort of related to these these stereotypes that, that we hear about professional service providers. And, and this one, um, a common refrain from professionals, so lawyers, let's say, is I'm not an entrepreneur. I can't take those risks. That's why I went to law school. How do we reconcile that viewpoint with we need to be entrepreneurial to provide better advice for our entrepreneurs? Well, I think it's also just a myth because um, whether you're in a firm or on your own, you're running a business. You are an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, you know that you have to you have to get clients now. If you're lucky as a junior and you you happen to be able to go to a firm where there's a lot of firm clients, uh, I guess that you know that the first difficult thing of an entrepreneur, which is to find a customer, that you know it's not as difficult for you. But mm-hmm. you have to keep your client. You have to keep your customers. So it's right. no different than me wanting to go back to the same tire shop because they've given me good service, they've recognized a problem, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's exactly the same. You are an entrepreneur because you're trying to keep your customer, and we don't, let's not call them a client. It is your customer. You're trying to right. provide value to customer. You're trying to have them come back again and pay you for giving them a service, which is providing advice. So I think it's a fallacy to say you're not an entrepreneur. 
Um, mm. Unless, of course, you're you're an employee, I suppose. I mean, I'm an employee, but but my job here is also to make sure that my clients, who are are the the senior executive team here at Kate's Group, I'm I'm giving them what they need. So I I bring the same viewpoint to it. Um, second of all, lawyers have been around forever, accountants, etc. You want to you want to think entrepreneurially because it gives you an advantage in positioning what you can do for the client in a different way. Um, I think I mentioned to you, Heather, years ago, I, I did some immigration law just because I was acting for businesses that were, you know, doing buying and selling cross border. And once they acquired a business in the U.S. or or in Canada. Um, they then had to get their people across, and that was difficult. And so I started having to do immigration law uh, just to help with that. And and I realized that it was uh, a lot easier to attract clients if I gave them some price certainty. And gosh, lawyers will always say, oh, it's so hard to give price certainty. It's not. It just means you take a bit of a risk. Right, but, right, absolutely. But every business gives price certainty, right? They put a, a sticker on their product, um, engineering firms, uh, builders, they all make, you know, make proposals on building buildings. I know there may be contingencies or it might even be a cost plus. There's probably a, a ceiling. The rest of the world is able to um, provide some sort of cost certainty and clients want that. And I think it's uh, lawyers need to be doing that in a lot and accountants and everybody else, service providers need to do that um, to compete. To um, they'll put themselves ahead of the pack, and it can be done. It's 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 uh, there's variables in every industry, right? And then and then tying that back to value again for the for the client, and, and I think it makes it really effective um, from their perspective as well. So talking about headspace, um, you've you've touched on this a little bit, but. Do you have any other words of advice for early stage professional service providers about their headspace or their mindset and what they can do to shift towards a more entrepreneurial outlook? Okay. Well, let's say you're uh, let's do it this way. You're looking at your desk and you and you decide, "Okay, I'm going to take this challenge." I think the first thing I would do is triage by looking at what I do a lot of uh, because what I do a lot of probably means I'm quite good at that. I feel skilled and confident in it. So mm-hmm. let's identify yeah. that and then say, okay, well, this is what I now do. I'm going to try and shift my mind to think of it from the client perspective. Is there, first of all, a different manner that I should deliver it in or a portion of what I do on that particular um, kind of file? Uh, could I deliver this in a in a different way that number one might be uh, the client might uh, it be might be more usable for the client and we've talked about whether how the right. written communications or or being um, being in person um, sometimes by by looking at how to be more usable to business it also allows us as the professional service provider to in a sense standardize a bit more the way we do it and we all know if you standardize things a bit more it actually is more efficient for you to do it i.e. cheaper you're spending less time Um, so I think there's a benefit to you to do that so number one is there a different manner Uh, I would also say is there a different um, I would look at sort of the timing of the particular, of the task. 
can I do it in steps such I can get to the client? I can be providing this service or this aspect of the file or this deliverable earlier or ahead of when the client might expect it. So, mm-hmm. so you're looking to to one up the one up, you know, the other lawyers who might provide a similar service because you you've now provided in a more digestible and more efficient manner. This is just off the top of my head, Heather. But let's say a client comes to you; it's a startup, and they want. Uh, they want you to incorporate and they want kind of, um, they know they're going to be entering into a few deals. Well, do you immediately suggest to them, look, let me do up a standard form term sheet for you um, that you right. can use right. in a bunch, in a few deals. You don't have to come back to me each time. And right. then uh, you've got that tool. I think, I think that's a really good, um, a really good example. And, and one that's really kind of low-hanging fruit in terms of, of what can be fairly easily concocted for a particular client. So you've talked about a term sheet for, maybe it's for investors, maybe maybe there's some like a, an IP assignment agreement or a contractor agreement or a standard form employment agreement that they can customize. So you can include, you know, all of the variables, all of the things that would change from agreement to agreement in a particular schedule, and then just show them, okay, you know, absent some weird situation that we should talk about. If this is pretty run of the mill and you're hiring so-and-so or you're taking an assignment of, of IP, you need to get the following details into a schedule. You can sleep well at night knowing that you don't have a big gap here and we you don't need to bother me for every you know new hire or new IP assignment agreement that, that is signed. But let's let's give you something that you can work with. If there's something that's customized, then then let's come back and talk about just those differentials that are that are outside of the the norm. Oh, I think I think that's been really helpful Shauna with the the practical suggestions and I know we're both lawyers so we both speak that sort of legal language but I think you've really done a good job of of making it resonate for the business owner now that you're on that side of the equation um, because I think it's easy for lawyers um, to or or other professional service providers to sort of have blinders on and say, well, you know, maybe it's a, a more senior lawyer who's asked me to draft this, and I just need to produce the best thing. And you always need to produce your best work, but you also need to produce work that's relevant and topical for ultimately the person who's going to use it. And I think if you just strategically think a little bit ahead about, well, how will they use this, and 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 then how could they reuse this, or how could they recycle this, so that they can become efficient at what they do because I'm trying to become efficient at how I provide service, then I think you've really kind of expanded the the reach and the the appreciation and, and ultimately the value that you can provide for your clients. Yeah, you know what sometimes I, I find I certainly in this job, but even when I was in private practice, I actually would spend on files uh, quite often be writing emails for the client to be able to send. Uh, and not to another right. lawyer, but to send to the other side in a negotiation or to in some other aspect. Um, yeah. Because I knew what the issues were, and the client was happy I was doing that. So I was obviously drafting in a way that it would sound like them and like a business person and not like the lawyer. And, you know, yeah. it, it, I used to say to associates when they'd bring me something to a letter, for example, to to proof, and, and they'd use the word upon, upon the following occurring. And I used to say, look, <laughs> if, if you actually say upon in, in conversation, then I won't correct it. That's fine if that's right. how you speak. Right. Right. Little, but since little, you don't. Like, but if you don't, and I haven't heard you say it. Well, that's great. Thank you, Shauna, for uh, joining us today. I think you've provided some really tangible and helpful uh, comments for our listeners. Oh, thanks. I really enjoyed the conversation. Great. 
Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.